everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on the We Thrive podcast, where we share stories from entrepreneurs from around the world about how they're creating an impactful legacy. I'm your host, Casey Clark, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Kara Brown, founder and CEO of Smith Brown Marketing. So thank you so much, Kara, for joining us. Thanks, Casey, for having me. Um, we're actually two brands now, very confusing. Uh, but we're moving from one to the other because a smart man told me long term, it's hard to sell a business with your name on it. So, <laughs> so we're going from Smith Brown to Lee Coverage. It's a little confusing, but we have two brands at the moment. Okay. All right. Good to know. And definitely a uh, note taken. <laughs> so. It's a lot. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, sure. So lead coverage is a B2B specific lead gen shop. So Things that we don't do are either to tell you things that we do do, <laughs> just because there's a lot that we do do. What we don't do is pretty pictures. So there's a lot of really good folks out there that do a lot of really strong design work. It's not our wheelhouse. Uh, we do everything that touches the revenue funnel. So anything from first touch, uh, PPC, SEO websites, all the way down through conversion. And then in March, we actually started a whole new business where we now are making the first phone call for clients. So we've always turned over those uh, 50 leads or 60 leads or 10 leads, whatever it is from the campaign we did or the webinar, whatever it is. And in March, we hired 26 laid off sales reps to have them bang that first phone call out for us, which has just been amazing. So connections are up uh, 2019 to 2020. We're seeing uh, decision makers able to get on the phone, get on a Zoom call. It's just been incredible. So we touch everything in the revenue funnel, except for like logos and branding work that you normally see from a marketing shop. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So as you know, this is the We Thrive podcast. So tell me what the word thrive means to you. Oh, such a good question. I was reading your questions earlier today, prepping for today, and I have been thinking about it all morning. So I feel like there is a, uh, a pretty regular cycle, right, in life. So we were talking before we started recording about having children, <laughs> and I feel like every day is a roller cycle, roller, roller coaster with the children, but more importantly in life, right? And so I think when I think about thriving and when I was a stay-at-home mom with two under two and trying to start a business and go back to grad school, thriving was literally getting to bed at night, like <laughs> just like making it through the day. And the thriving today has become something so different, right? Thriving today is about learning about new ways to use debt facilities or meeting new interesting people that I can do business partnerships with or thinking through the strategy of growing a business to $20 million. Like the idea of thriving, I feel like is really time and space specific. Mm -hmm. um, and I would urge anyone who's sort of like, oh, I'm not thriving right now, that this too will pass, right? That, that, Everything is about moderation, and uh, there was a time in my life when thriving was literally getting to go to the bathroom by myself, which is <laughs> not a problem anymore, by the way. That's so, good. <laughs> right? yeah. Now we're safe. <laughs> but it changes, you know, I think it changes. Too funny. So what obstacles have you faced um, aside from having two under two? <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Uh, I think... Failure has been a regular occurrence in my life, right? Um, 
and I think thriving through failure is super important and everyone I was talking about is learning from failure. Uh, I think the last like major fail I had, it took me three years to get over it. I mean, it took me a really long time to sort of process what happened and think through like, was it really my fault? How much of this was on me? How much of this was on, you know, someone else? How much could I really have prevented? And how much was I just wrong place, wrong time, couldn't have helped it. Um, so I think, I think when we think about like challenges and thriving through challenges, again, it's all about moderation, right? And being able to have some perspective on uh, things that went well, things that didn't go well. Actually, I'm part of a, a really cool group called Launchpad 2X. And Launchpad 2X is rocket fuel for female entrepreneurs. Less than 1% of female founders will break a million dollars in revenue. And 25% uh, of female founders who go through this program will break a million dollars in revenue. So you immediately increase your chances. Wow. And last week, I was very fortunate. They asked me to come on and talk about strategic storytelling, which I just thought was so cool. And so strategic storytelling is about taking your story and only sharing the highlights mm -hmm. and having a nugget of truth in every sort of piece of the story, um, but sharing only the good stuff. And to be totally honest, I think I've shared this story so many times of only the good stuff that I've almost forgotten about the bad stuff. And it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? That if you just tell the story enough times, you believe it. And so all the times that I got laid off or fired or I had a terrible boss or I had to deal with something that was terrible, I just don't talk about it. And suddenly the story becomes only the positive stuff. So maybe there's a little bit of like, the ability to craft your own sort of thrive story, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of reminds me of like the whole concept of neuroplasticity and like how our brains literally change pathways. It's like fascinating. Yes, all the time, right? And they're constantly changing, especially yeah. women. I think women, you know, the mom brain is real. Like it is a real thing. And uh, I had a therapist one time tell me that I lost the year of 2014. Excuse me, I lost the year of 2014. I had two under two in my house. I had started a business and I was getting an MBA. And I just, I lost the year. Like, I just, just like, there are things on my Facebook timeline that come up and I'm like, wow, that happened? Like, I don't remember them, right? And it's because I think truly the neuroplasticity, like you said, like it was such a terrible year for me personally, even though I had two very healthy kids and starting a business and getting an MBA, that sounds great. But if you put it all on one person, it's a lot. And yeah. so I think I just sort of like forgot the year. It's too much, too much for this brain to handle. And there's more important things to put in it. So adios. <laughs> That is hilarious. And thank you. Cause my boyfriend is always like, how can you forget that? And I'm like, I don't have enough space in my brain. And you just yeah. validated that. Yeah. Well, I think it's almost like a coping mechanism, right? Yeah. Like there are only so many things that I remember. I mean, I have an MBA, right? And like, there are only so many things I remember from the program. Like I, there's no possible way I remember everything. And to be totally honest, I think intentionally I forgot most of cost accounting, like on purpose. <laughs> but, you know, things from like management, I just, there are just things that it's like, this is not that important. I'm going to just not remember it. Right. Or the feeling associated with it is so uncomfortable yeah. 
that I'm going to forget this moment because I felt so bad in this moment that I don't want to live here again. Mm -hmm. Right. And so move on, forget it. Just find a happier memory. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like, you know, like you said, that's one of the ways that you're kind of coping. So what other ways have you coped or like gotten through the obstacles that you face, whether it's, you know, as a mom, a wife, you know, an entrepreneur? Oh my gosh. So a big one for me is building a community. Like the the biggest thing for me is building a community. My husband uh, always says, you have so many girl squads. Like so many groups of women in different pockets of womanhood, right? So mom friends, which are super important, but the mom friends are not the same friends that I'm going to talk about, like debt financing and like, you know, hiring my next senior leader, right? And so I have a group of women that are mom friends that really help with that sort of like, hey, are we all going to do a learning pod? What's happening with Girl Scouts, right? Like that sort of stuff. And then there's, my entrepreneurial community, which has just been incredible. Like the, the women that I've met that are also on this journey, this sort of $20 million journey or more that are intentional about growth, that are not afraid to be aggressive, that are not afraid of sort of being seen as a woman who wants something out of life um, has been really, really powerful for me because it's real easy for women to sort of get down on each other. And so I think the community I've built has been probably the most important thing in terms of building resiliency and then thriving even if things don't go your way. Um, and I'm super fortunate, although now that I think about it, I may have done it to myself. I have an almost all-female team. And so I we have three guys on the team. Two of them are named John, which is hilarious. And um, and I think I I hired my own girl squad, right? Like we all love each other. We spend time together outside of work. It's, I mean, I'm clearly, I'm clearly the boss, but like, but we like each other. We enjoy spending time together and we're girlfriends in, including colleagues. Right. And so sometimes actually one of my favorite memories from building the business of all of most, mostly women. So we brought, we crossed the, the 2% mark or the $1 million mark as an all female company. Nice. And I remember calling one of the girls that works for me, the woman that works for me, and I said, hey, this is a girlfriend call. You do not have to call me back right away. This is not a boss call. So, like, it's fine if you don't call me back, but until, like, tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> so sometimes I still have to, like, remind them, like, hey, this is your girlfriend calling or this is your boss calling. And it's, it's kind of cool. And I sort of have my own little hype squad that I built all for myself, and it's really special. So how do you manage that? Because like, I'm the same way, you know, I'm friend. I was friends with the majority of my staff before they started working with me. And for me, it just works. But a lot of people are like, oh, you'd never hire your friends. You never do this. So what are some of the things that you do to kind of make sure that you can put those different hats on when necessary? Uh, let's be honest, Casey. I'm probably not that good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably think I am, but I'm like failing, like totally. Actually, I know I'm failing. You want to know why? I'll tell you a funny story. This is, this is why it's, this is actually a good story to tell you like why it's so important that they are also your friends. Because if if your friend tells you a joke, you'll laugh. If an employee tells you a joke, maybe you won't laugh, right? About yourself, like a self-deprecating joke, right? So 
we were at, a, at an EO event, or we're an EO, we're an EO company, an entrepreneur organization company, and they had this group come and train us about being introspective versus extra, extrospective. So like uh, in, in, internal mindset versus external mindset. And they had us do this little chart, right? And the little chart was like, you know, what you do and how they feel and then what you do and how you feel. It's this little chart. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to my two leaders and I said, hey guys, we should totally do this as a team. It's changing my life. Like, I love the way this is like presented. And I sent it to them. And all I got back was one text that said, hashtag swoop and poop. <laughs> and I thought, oh, oh no, oh no. My behavior is so bad that they named it. They named my behavior the swoop and poop. And they all knew about it. And I did not. <laughs> and this was them telling me, yeah, you know, we could definitely bring this back to the company, but maybe you should stay there and work on yourself for a minute, which I totally did. Uh, but I think because we are girlfriends, in addition to colleagues, it was, it was meant and it was received in a way that was both personal and professional growth. Like, hey girl, I see you. I see you working hard on like yourself and the business and we appreciate that. But we're gonna tell you, we're gonna tell you the reals, right? And the reals is, you're a mess. <laughs> like, you, <laughs> you gotta solve this. And so I think, um, I think the ability to be girlfriends and be really honest with each other is just as important as sort of the employee-employer relationship. And the other thing that I hope, and you should ask them, not me, I hope that I give off what is true to what is actually true is that I respect them as women as professionals. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you respect and care deeply about your friends. And so I think because we are friends and colleagues, that that care and respect can sort of transform the employee-employer relationship. Um, I don't know, some days I'm more boss than girlfriend and some days I'm more girlfriend than boss and it works for us. Yeah, I mean, the ebb and flow, like I said, it works for you and it's just a natural thing, so definitely. So it sounds like you have made quite an impact on them and vice versa. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit more about the impact that you hope to leave and uh, just kind of like the legacy that you have to leave and what that means to you. Oh gosh, I'm so glad. I love this. I love this question. I saw it on the, on the email and I was so excited to answer it. So two big legacies that I want to leave. leave. Um, one is women in business. Uh, one is I want more women in the 2% club. I want the 2% club to become a 3% club and then a 4% club. <laughs> I want more women to know that they can scale from a small business to a medium-sized business and like medium-sized being five to 10 million, right? Like I want more women that start businesses to think of themselves as $20 million entrepreneurs, not $20,000 entrepreneurs. Wow. And that is sort of the goal, the lifelong goal, if you will, um, that I'm early on in my sort of journey for, for helping those women, uh, but try to make it a, a piece of sort of every day, right? And so I'm on the board of Launchpad 2X, which we talked about earlier. Um, my girlfriend, Jordan Arigetti, and I also started a, a group called Close Her, which is a uh, community for women in sales. And so we believe that entrepreneurs are really salespeople, for lack of a better word. 
um, and that women in sales make a difference, that women in the revenue engine are important. And it's important to have a place and have a voice in the revenue cycle. Um, super important to have it in STEM, not taking away from operations, but I think, you know, looking around the sales pit, there's not usually very many women. Um, and I'd love to see that sort of increase. I'd love to see women take the, uh, take the skills that we're naturally born with and just run with them. Um, so that's really the legacy that we want to leave behind is that women can do it. We can do it together. We're, we are legitimately right now an example of that. Um, and empower as many women as possible to, to do this as well. Actually, a quick story about that. So I have the most incredible uh, uh, executive assistant. She's virtual. I got her through sort of an executive assistant placement service, which has been a great experience for us. And she called me last week to tell me she was going to take a full-time job. And I just about started crying. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. no, girl, no, no. And she was like, I have to tell you that when they offered me the first offer, I channeled my inner care around and went back and got some more money. And I was, so, and she said, I, she, this verbatim what she said, I would not have done that if I had not spent the last year with you and your team watching you sort of do what you do every day and empower yourself to be, you know, a real business leader. And, and it was, that was cool. It was a cool moment to be like, all right, that's, you know, like, this is what it's all about. So I'm losing the best virtual assistant I've ever had. It makes me very sad. Uh, my calendar will never be the same, but, <laughs> uh, but I helped a woman find her place in a full-time job, which is 100% what she deserves, and get the money that she deserves, and to really, more than anything, feel empowered, right? She is going to leave us feeling more empowered um, in her new role, which is really like the best possible legacy, right? And the fact that she might pay it forward just makes it even better. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, so you have two girls, right? I do. So what do you kind of teach them? I mean, they're young, but what do you share with them where like, like I saw this thing, I think it was today and it said those little girls who like run naked outside, like they're going to grow up and be a CEO one day. Like they might give you a heart attack today, but you know, just bear with it. So what do you tell your children um, to kind of embrace who they are and to just go out and do it? I'm not sure that I tell them to go out and do it or embrace who they are. <laughs> well, maybe that's not <laughs> that is a scary, scary, scary endeavor. Uh, no, I've, I'm actually pretty aggressive about a couple things. If you ask my six-year-old what her degree will be in college, she will tell you finance. Wow. Uh, both of them, actually. Because I believe that business starts with finance. Mm -hmm. So I'm a marketer. Uh, by trade it's what we do every day all day but my biggest decisions in the business are finance decisions uh, my biggest decisions as a wife are financial as a mother are financial right as a girlfriend as a daughter are financial yeah. and it's something that I didn't get I didn't get a, a firm rooting in financial decision making and I've had to learn it you know I got an MBA and 
And, uh, and the whole reason I went back to school was because I had a degree in political science and I couldn't run the books. I mean, I really, I, I had no idea, like basic accounting, I guess, but like time value of money and valuations and I'm watching Shark Tank and very confused. And so, you know, really spending the time with the kids on making them understand that a degree in finance, you can be an artist. You can be the best damn artist ever. You can be the best basket weaver that we have ever seen. And if you're going to run a basket weaving company, you better know how much your cogs are, <laughs> right? Like, and so I think finance is so important for these, for these kids. And then I think too, the other thing that, that these two are getting, my little girls are getting is, is just mommy's a boss, right? Like mommy's a boss. Dad's also a boss. He's a big deal. He's an engineer. He's no, he's no schlep, but, but you know, mommy runs a business. Like it's, it's mommy's business that, you know, we have on our t-shirts and it's mommy's business that, that we have on the, you know, our logoed water bottles. Like there's something important about them growing up, sort of seeing mommy as, um, as the, as the leader, as the entrepreneur. And my husband is hundred percent behind it. He loves it. He's like, neither one of them should ever work for anyone. And I'm like, that's false. They should definitely have a job before they go on their own for sure. It shouldn't be for me. It should be for someone else. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I, I try anyway to instill in them sort of the basics of business, even though they're little kids. We play a lot of Kid Monopoly, super helpful, Kid Monopoly. Um, and we make deals. It's actually really funny. So if, if my kids want something, I make them make a deal. Wow. And they know the basics of negotiation. If everybody walks away just a little unhappy, then it's a great negotiation, right? <laughs> and they're learning. They're learning like, hey, if you want to get that popsicle, what are you going to do? So actually the deal this morning on the dog walk was, actually this is afternoon, if you want the popsicle, when we walk around the block, you have to pick up the dog poop, <laughs> which she agreed to. So she got a popsicle. I didn't have to pick up the dog poop. Everyone was happy. And she learned a very successful negotiation at six. Um, so that's really what we, what we spend our time on sort of as a family when we're not chasing them around naked. That's very regular. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I love it. So what nuggets do you have for our listeners? Yeah, I'm going to be a broken record here. Uh, but my nugget is find your tribe. Um, there's a funny story about this. So I'm a, I'm a, a member and a board member of the entrepreneur organization in Atlanta and when I joined EO, my husband and I went to a cocktail party. So we're at the cocktail party and I walk up to the bar and we're getting cocktails and there's a gentleman there and we start talking about something and he goes, well, yes, but if you take the EBITDA of the first company and you combine it with the EBITDA of the second company and you take the combined EBITDA to the bank, you can get a better deal and a, a larger debt facility and then they don't care what you use it for on the back end. So we're having this conversation about you know, debt financing and like, what we're going to do like it was just, this is much before COVID and we walked away from the bar and my husband goes holy crap these are your people like, <laughs> is that a normal that's like a normal conversation here and I was like yeah sort of yeah like yeah it's pretty normal like we just like talk about that stuff and he's like that's not normal you found your people right and so if talking about quilting is your thing go find your people if talking about you know, business or sales or legion or 
engineering or whatever it is, is your thing, like go find your people. And so really happy that I've found my tribe in terms of folks that when I do get on the phone and talk about like scaling or actually it's really funny. What is the last business book you read? Right. This is very common sort of in the circles that I live in because we're all constantly reading business books. We're doing a thing uh, where we're trying to hire like the next senior leader for our team. We want him to be an A player. So I asked all my friends that are entrepreneurs that are in my little, little posse, what is the best book you've read about hiring? And they all, three, three of the six gave me the same title. And I was like, done, excellent, this is the book. Read the book in like two days, put together a whole new plan and then sent it to those three people. And I was like, what do you think of this plan? And they were like, yeah, that's a great plan. You should do that. Excellent, cool. Now I have a new hiring plan, right? Those are not normal friends. Like, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> like, that's not like a normal, like, friendship. Like, this isn't like the guy I go to the base of the baseball game with. Like, this is, these are like intentional friendships that I have with people that I can, that I'll share this with that appreciate that sort of friendship. And they love it too, right? They want the same thing. Actually, a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine, Doug, I'm in the car on the way to where we were going, the lake or whatever, and he goes, hey, uh, I'm solving this problem. I need you to help me. Is is the right ratio inbound leads over closed deals? Is that like a closed one ratio? And I'm like, well, like sort of, like it depends on like your velocity to close and like how long does it take the deal to go through the pipeline, how many touches. So he turns, he puts me on FaceTime, turns his phone around, and he shows me the whiteboard he's working on. <laughs> And on the way to the lake, I have this full like sales consulting conversation, which is what I do, with my friend Doug. And he's like, okay, cool. All right, cool. I got it. I'm going to, okay, cool. All right, bye. And like hangs up. And my husband looks over and he was like, you are so weird. Like you and your <laughs> friends are so weird. Like the fact that that even like happens and it's like totally normal for someone to like turn a phone around, like look at my whiteboard. And it, I love it. Like that. So my point. I think my whole point is my nugget for your for your listeners is find your people. You do not have to have people that you can share financials with or like talk about like you know whatever crazy like concoction you're spinning up for some email campaign. But find your people that like fill your cup. Right. These are the people that fill my cup. It's not going to be everybody's cup. Uh, but find the people that sort of fill your cup and. It's, uh, it's a super fun ride when you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am happy that you found your group of uh, other sales. <laughs> <laughs> other weird sales entrepreneur people. <laughs> so, awesome. So is there anything else that kind of popped in your head that you didn't share with us that you'd like to share? No, it was super fun. I'm really grateful, Casey, that you're asking questions that aren't like, how do you effectively use email campaigns? or B2B. This is like way more fun than my sort of normal podcast. Yeah. Um, and it's no, this is great. What's that? People, people actually turn me down, you know, if I ask them oh. and they'll be like, um, I can't talk about like what I do for marketing. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so yeah. This is way more fun. Yeah. It, it's interesting. But like you said, you know, you have to find your people and there's people that are going to want to be on this and want to listen to it. And then there's people who won't. And that's I also think that there are people and it, it boggles my mind. Actually, there are people who are not committed to personal and professional growth. Mm -hmm. Like there are humans in the world who, who think that they are perfect or 
are not aware maybe that there is room for personal and professional growth or maybe they've never like spent time with someone who has been committed to personal and professional growth right like there's lots of reasons why maybe maybe not aware of it um but i think when you when you think about the word thrive i immediately went to like personal professional growth right um seasons of life what i'm learning now where am i in my career how do i think about where i want to go next um and i think it's, it's actually taking me a minute to do some of that internal work um but uh, and i hired two coaches to help me get there because i was like i'm not very good at this and it's been a, it's been a cool it's been a cool ride i like it i like learning about myself and covid's been really helpful because i'm not doing anything else so just like, and it brings a whole new set of challenges. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm with myself all the time now, like <laughs> by myself, right? There's no more like hanging out with people in the office. So it's yeah. easier to sort of spend that introspective time right now during COVID. It's been a good, it's been a good experience overall, to be honest. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, thank you so much for joining us. It's always nice to get some other insight you know from other marketers so i definitely appreciate you taking the time yeah thanks this was super fun i'm really grateful for you awesome good well i'm grateful for you as well and i'd also like to express my gratitude to stephen lamar moore who produced the music for our podcast so thank you stephen and thank you again kara it's been a pleasure thanks casey have a good one